Hey, it's Lynn Stroy, and our jam-packed convo series continues with part four, the Surratt brothers on their relationship and how Seco spends its money. Just because I don't believe or agree doesn't mean I can't learn from you. Why did you have to bring that up? Okay, that one I'm super embarrassed about. <laughs> Do you like me? Do I like you? Yeah. As, a, as an individual or as yeah, a podcast? Yeah, as, as a person. No, I like you. Okay, cool, yeah. cool. And I don't have any interest in appearing to be stronger than I am. I ain't bowed a Nebuchadnezzar statue. He gonna leave. You feel me? How do we love people who see the world differently than we do? What would it look like if we truly loved all of our neighbors? Could listening to their stories be the first step? This is Seacoast Church, and there's way more to talk about. You know what's so weird is I rarely spend time with you guys as brothers. I don't really know the dynamics between you guys. I don't know how we much you like each other. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Could y'all have ever imagined the roles that you guys have right now? Like when y'all first started this church, what, we, we were like 10 and 8 or something like that. This concept right now in 2023, what y'all are doing, you could not have even comprehended when you're little Well, kids. no way. And then even thinking about like our experience with Seacoast versus our kids' experience with Seacoast. Like our kids carry around like a, a little bit of pride and we have to like keep them from being entitled yeah. because of Didn't how Miles cool it is. Miles ask somebody one time, do you know who my dad oh, is? Yeah, yeah. Miles, <laughs> Miles got to, to wash the toilets because of entitlement. We got to wash the toilets because there was nobody else yeah. to do it. There was no one else to do it. So we were the set Did y'all team. make Miles wash toilets? Oh yeah, that day, that day, <laughs> that day. Uh, Sean McCarthy came to me and told me what happened. Miles was sliding down the rail and the stairwell that we had in the old building. And Sean was like, hey, Miles, you're a leader. He's like six or seven, yeah. eight years old at right. the time. Um, it and, wasn't last year. And people are going to see that and blah, blah, blah. And Miles was like, you know what? My dad is your boss. <laughs> I don't that. have to do what you tell me to do. <laughs> and so Sean wasn't mad. He was like, hey, I would just want somebody to tell me this. Right. Oh, yeah. and, I, and I think I was doing open and close that weekend. And I was like, uh-uh. Somebody else is doing open and close for the next two services. Miles and I are together going to clean the bathroom. So that that's the facilities seem to get it together. But point being, like, we were here on Saturdays mowing the grass. Yep. Wiping the windows down, vacuuming the stage, and it wasn't because we were being taught a lesson right. of entitlement. It they was needed your parents like, needed you to do it. <laughs> this church may Setting not make it chairs, another week. Yeah. Taking down chairs, yeah, it was a family deal. Yeah. Honestly, I feel like we're busier now than we were back then, and I think Dad was real intentional about you know making family a priority, even in the midst of planning churches and and all that stuff. Um, he was at all of our games. Yeah. You know, back then there weren't a lot of like Wednesday night games or Saturday games, Sunday games, that kind of thing. But I do remember him cutting out on one Wednesday night when we had, we used to have Wednesday every week. And uh, dad. Oh, yeah. That's know, Pentecostal kids. Yeah. We know about every oh, yeah. Wednesday and yeah. every Sunday. Yeah. Sunday night. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, we we did the game and not church. And so we made that a priority. So there's a lot of great things that happened and, and good things that, that I can say about our family and dad. Yeah, you know, growing yeah. up in the church. I think that it was a different world back then in terms of like emotional health, counseling, some of that stuff. We went through a lot yeah. of trauma as yeah. kids. Didn't even know to call it that or didn't even know that it was necessarily abnormal from another kid's childhood. But I think now as a parent looking on our kid's childhood and what they're experiencing, I'm like, wow, we went through a ton. And Jason yeah. and I have talked a lot about that. There was uh, so much that happened. And, and mom and dad were in their early 30s when they started Seacoast. And, you know, from the car accident to the boating accident, Hurricane Hugo, moving across country, his mom da- died young of cancer during that whole stretch. And so there was a ton 
But I would agree with that. Just, you know, maybe processing and counseling and. Yeah. You know. But dad coached our basketball team. Yeah. Right. Like, you know, he was awesome, super present yeah. and, and was the same guy on the stage yep. as he was at home. I think it actually helped a lot that he wasn't like this persona, this booming preacher, this like people, what draws people to my dad, I think still to this day is he, he's relatable as an everyday guy. Um, and that's, that's how he was at yeah, home. Too. It's true. So super awesome. involved in our lives outside of church. Yeah. Do you guys, that's awesome. Y'all are proud of your dad, right? I mean, y'all oh, gotta yeah. be like, golly, it's, I am, and I feel like you know it's easy to criticize megachurch pastors uh, because there are some eccentric examples of that, or people who. And I feel like for me, it's hard to because the the closest example I have of that, the guy hasn't changed in thirty years. <laughs> He's still the same same guy, and uh, I mean, I could joke about it, but where we're at right now in this podcast studio, basically, you know, his office got taken over by the counseling center that we have, and I know lead pastors, and I'm not saying this is wrong, but that basically have shrines built to them, uh, you, know, you know, even after they're dead. And uh, dad, it's like, ah, oh, you know, they took over my office. You know, I need a place to land every night. You know, it's just, I feel like he's not like, he doesn't feel entitled to be treated a certain way because of who he is or yeah. because of what he's accomplished. And, yeah. Who made better grades when y'all were younger? I, I, did. I was smarter. You were smarter, like naturally more. I just lacked a little bit of work ethic yeah. when I came yeah. to school. I didn't. I don't say I was smarter. I tested good, but then I did not do well. Jason worked really hard, got a business degree at College of Charleston. He always made better grades. Um, now, if the question was athletics, I was going to get come there. Come on, I was going to get there. Would you? Would you have to concede that he's a better uh, athlete? I don't know. No, no, I don't think so. Did y'all did y'all ever get in physical altercations when y'all were younger? I mean, y'all had to have once in a while. I mean, I think there would be dust ups in our driveway playing basketball, but not. We didn't fight each other. We fought with each other against other people. I mean, y'all so close in age was was Jason wasn't physically dominant. Y'all, I mean, y'all were so close in age because no, my brother, if, if we point. ever had a conflict, it was he's going to win. He's two years older. Once we both hit puberty, we were pretty evenly matched. <laughs> and Jason was like star running back in football. I played quarterback. Uh, he was a point guard at basketball, really quick. I was more of a shooting guard that on my good nights, I was a great shooter. And on my bad nights, it was really bad. Uh, so I feel like we were better at different sports than, you know, like he I was probably we, better uh, at soccer and basketball than I was. Complimented each other too. Quarterback, running yeah. back, point guard, shooting guard. Who could win in a fight right now? Let's find out. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I bet you this is a question that a lot of people maybe think about, but we'll never have the opportunity to ask. And that's what this podcast is for. It, how, how do you frame up little brother being the lead pastor? I know you as a person, so it's not really a question for me. Mm-hmm. But I think for, for people who really don't know you, yep. man, is that hard for Jason, yep. little brother running things? Man, it's not. We've just always had like a a great relationship. And I know God's given us different gifts and talents and abilities, all of us. And Josh and I are the same way. And so I have a business degree and like more of the behind the scenes things and don't feel as gifted or called to speaking on the weekend. And so I just lead in a different way. Um, I'm on the executive team and help make decisions and we collaborate a lot and we connect and, you know, meet. But 
Yeah, I, I think a lot of people maybe have a framework for leadership where it's like boss employee. Right. Obviously, that's a dynamic in a lot of places. But I feel like the way that we lead here is when dad transitioned this to a next generation of leadership, I'm leading the church. That's my my role, my title. I lead our executive team, help set the agenda. But man, we are, I recognize that we have been entrusted, a team of us have been, have been entrusted to lead it. And that includes Jason and Josh Walters and Margaret Little and you know Joel Dell. There, there's a lot of us. And my goal, Sam Lesky, my goal is that the people in the room are all smarter than I am. And so my goal isn't to be the smartest person in the room, it's to pull out, you know, the gifts and strengths of the team. And so I think that the dynamic is just a lot different than what maybe people think it right. is. Mm-hmm. Like there's never yeah. a situation, like I'll, I'll help for our listeners, there's never a situation where Jason brings something up and you're like, absolutely not, we're not doing that. Like if Jason brings something up, you're like, oh, let's listen. Well, I mean, we'll listen and we'll debate it together. And maybe the decision at the end of the day is that we don't do it, but it's not because I didn't want to. It's right. because the team talked about it. And yeah. Jason doesn't report to me. We do that just for the relationship. Jason, I don't think most people even know what your role is here. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I remember when your role was helping plant campuses yep. because you and I spent a lot of time together That's right. when James Island was kicking off. Yeah. Yep. What do you do now? Legacy yeah, and, pastor. And people probably also don't know that Jason's been on staff at Seacoast longer than I have and has been fired less. That's true. No, I've been on staff for over 25 years, which is just hard to believe and um, have done everything from um, planning campuses to local missions, global missions, helping with youth ministry facilities. facilities. We've, We've all done started, that. We both started on facilities. And uh, so, again, uh, things were a lot different back then. But what I do now is legacy pastor, and that's taking a lot of what I've done in the past. And um, it's really the heartbeat of Seacoast. So casting vision for campuses, uh, next-gen, local, national, and global missions, and telling what we do, celebrating that, but then pastoring the people that give towards that. Yeah, I think a lot of people uh, may kind of even wonder, like, behind the the curtain, how does the church work? And when Jason talks about legacy, you have kind of the day-to-day operations of the church. You know, Joey, you doing this podcast, the kids ministry, the campuses that we have that are in existence, paying the bills on those, all of the stuff that we do and the staff that it takes to do it is funded out of the tithes of our people, uh, the general giving budget of our people. But then we have vision, like Jason was talking about. We've laid it out in five different lanes, but it's vision of things that we feel like God has called us to do, but we don't have the funds to do it within our operating budget. And that's where we go, hey, if you feel called to give beyond that, to give, give towards the future vision so that the next, you know, campus or the next mission project can happen. That all is stuff. So when we talk about legacy, like if we talk about that during this podcast, it's talking about the vision for the future, which is why I feel Mm -hmm. like to say the heartbeat of our church, a lot of that is around who we give money away to um, and how we interact with our missions partners around the world and how we respond to disasters that happen around the world. The current one being the war in, in Israel and Gaza, you know, how we feel like God's called us to be a part of that. All of that funding in addition to building projects here and, you know, uh, local missions, Pastors Collective, really what dad's doing with his life right now is Seacoast portion of that's being funded out of legacy. And so it's a way for people to go, hey, man, I want to be involved in in that and the, yeah. the heartbeat of what we're doing. Yeah. yeah. Who who decides, because obviously there's so many different things, there's so many good things that Seacoast could do. Who decides which ones that you focus on? Joey, have you not read Exodus? Exodus, the, there, the there's book of the a Bible. mountain. I go up onto the mountain. Oh, 
I hear from God, and then I come back See, down. See, your dad and didn't we, do yeah. that. So <laughs> <laughs> a lot of the things we've really been doing for like decades. Gotcha. Legacy has helped us to communicate what we've already been doing. There is future vision and things that we're excited about for the future, but Legacy has given us a, a framework to talk about what we've been doing. Um, I don't think we're good at that. We're not good at celebrating. So Legacy helps us to celebrate the past and uh, really dream about the future as well. Yeah, but we do it collaboratively. Like it's a, like one of the things that we're going to tell the church about uh, in this season of Legacy is Seacoast music. And uh, so Seacoast music, if you met somebody on the street and they attended Seacoast and you said, hey, give me the top three or four things you love about the church, more times than not, the the worship experience the the they felt something in worship there's something unique about seacoast music um and worship and so this is something that we're going to focus on in this next year uh that brandon lake a lot of people have heard of brandon i know he's been on this podcast uh, he's still on staff at seacoast as one of our worship pastors well as as god has kind of breathed on his ministry and has expanded that and, and his songs are being sung all over, over the world uh we kind of realized hey this is a moment where brandon is willing to leverage the influence that he has to help us create even a stronger culture of songwriting and of developing and raising up the next generation of worshipers and having songs being sung out of this house all around the world. And so we had a lot of conversations. Uh, Seacoast Music came in and pitched that to our executive team. Hey, here's why we think now is the time. We deliberated over that. We asked them questions and had concerns about how is it structured and how would we do it and over the period of a few months, we eventually came to consensus as a team that this is something that we feel like God is calling us to invest in in the future. And so that's kind of how the process works for new things or mm-hmm. for, it's like, you know, we, we're kind of always asking the same questions that we ask people at the end of a weekend, what's God saying to you and what are you going to do about it? But it's more of a, hey, what is God calling us to be involved in in the world, a lot of times that's around pain or problems, counseling center being an example of that. And then it's kind of processing, is this something that God's calling us to partner with organizations that already exist, and that's part of what we do with Legacy? Or is this something that God's calling us to uniquely create something because we have those gifts and the the calling and the passion and the resources in-house. I mean, we do have, like, we have yeah. campus pastors that will come in and pitch us. We mm-hmm. did that a couple of weeks yeah. ago uh, where they'll come into the executive group and go, hey, here's why we think we need, you know, this at Somerville. Uh, we're getting ready to do a Dream Center in Somerville and upfit a building that we purchased last year for them. Um, and that was like collaborating with our campus leaders to go, hey, what's going on in your world? And where do you guys see growth? Where do you guys see needs and let's pray through that as a team and try to discern whether this is something and and what I do know is if we put it on our our legacy list which J- Jason sends out a list uh, and updates of about 40 projects that we're involved in if we put it on that list we've gotten to a point where we agree this is something God's called us to do and so that means if somebody goes hey I really love number 38 on that list I want to I want to make that happen. They give to it, then that just accelerates how quickly we do it. Because that list may take us 20 years to get mm-hmm. done, or it may take us five years. And what I love about Legacy, and Jason's really helped us develop this, is that by having that approach, it kind of takes the high pressure, like, you know, we need you to give this amount by this date, or we're going to, you know, fall apart. Like, it's kind of turned it into, here's the vision, if that resonates with you, and you're, you have margin and want to give towards it, that would be amazing. Uh, and then we kind of determine the pace based on 
how much people are giving towards those projects. Like, yeah. And I'll, I'll let you talk, Jay, too, but you can kind of see, oh, gosh, people are excited about it. It feels like God is breathing on this project. Let's move that to the top of the list in terms of timing because people are excited about it. And so yeah. that's kind of how it works. Yep. Yeah. Um, what, are, what are kind of the, the big ones right now? The big projects yeah. for this year? Yeah, I mean, John's Island is one of those. Uh, Josh mentioned Seacoast Music. The Bible Translation Project is a big one uh, that we started working on last year. And with that one, we're translating the Bible into Punjabi, which is like 48 million people. Uh, Gosh. And uh, so the where, goal, where Where do people that's speak that? That's in uh, Pakistan and India. Okay. It's and, like the border of Pakistan and India. Yeah. And the cool thing is, uh, to date, we've already been able to translate the New Testament and the first five books of the Old Testament. So and Josh Walters is doing all the translating, right? He's going to be the audible book. (laughs) (laughs) Right. No, but that's... How how did y'all get a team to translate? It's, I mean, you already knew people who, and they came to you guys and saying, hey, we need to translate this? This is a partner that we have, One Hope, that they are the ones that created the Bible app for kids. Like You realize these are people who, when they say they're going to do something, they have a track record of doing it, and we've worked with them for a long time. And they're actually in partnership with Biblica, which is an organization. Because translating the Bible, I think a lot, like we have AI now. Shouldn't we be able to just pop in an AI and it pops out a translation? Well, you probably understand this because you've been in ministry, but like, it's very important that you translate things accurately. And there are a lot of the reason it hasn't been translated into the, the final languages that it's not translated into is because it's difficult. It's like understanding how to say what the Bible is saying uh, into a country, country and culture dialect. that doesn't even have words to say what that means. And so it's a lot of work to do it. And what's what's exciting to me about that is that we cast the vision. It costs about a million dollars to translate uh, into a language. And so our question was, what is the, the translation that hasn't been done that has the most speakers. And it just so happened to be in a predominantly Muslim area, a very poor area. 68% of the people that live there are in poverty right now, uh, which the reason I say that is because a lot of times need uh, is a factor in people's readiness to experience the gospel. Uh, you know, the war is awful, obviously, and we've our heart breaks for what's happening there. I, I hear stories all the time, Naeem being one of them and his family who lived through war in Kuwait. And that's when they gave their life to Christ because the need you know, was so, so great that they, they reached out and they met, met Jesus. And so we know that the need is a factor in uh, sometimes people's readiness. And so that's why we get excited about it. So we cast a vision a year ago. We've yeah. had $380,000 given towards that project uh, out of a million. And so, yeah. again, that's an example where it's got like, one today, another one. For that? For that. That's today. amazing. Yeah. So so people just, it's a way for us to be able to say, hey, here's what we feel called to do. And Joey, I know, because I know you well, that as a giver, you're probably not going to be hyper motivated by another building uh, at a campus somewhere. Or not, not that you don't disagree that they should happen, but that's just not what drives you. But man, you may go, man, when, when I see us responding to victims of a natural disaster, that really motivates me. Or you, I know, have a, a really big heart for people who have been hurt by the church. And so maybe like a counseling center is something that you'd be like, man, I really see the value of that. And it's changed my life. And I want to be a part of that. People are motivated in different ways because of their experience. And so the way we do it just gives people uh, handles on, man, if I really want to give to this, I can do that. And um, and we aren't going to put it on the list if we don't feel like it's something that God's called us to do. So it's yeah. not like we just put every good idea on the list, because if you give to the idea, which is what happened with the counseling center, we, we put that on the list. 
I mean, that was what, six, eight months ago. It wasn't even on the list last year, but we began to pray as an executive team about local outreach. What are the needs in Mount Pleasant? You know, they, we don't need a food pantry in Mount Pleasant. Not that there aren't some people that need that, but we, we, the needs here are a lot more. There's addiction. There are people trying to figure out how to manage the opioid crisis. And there's certainly like mental health as a pandemic in and of itself of people struggling with real anxiety, depression, not knowing how to process trauma, some of that stuff. And so we started praying about it um, and said, you know what, we feel called. We've got people in-house that have counseling background. And then we had a giver reach out, ask me about what we were doing. Uh, I mentioned the counseling center and he gave $100,000 to it. So why did we have the vision six, eight months ago? And now we have, as we sit in the building that we're in, there's probably multiple counselors that are mm-hmm. sitting with people. Why did that happen so fast? Because somebody got excited right. about it and somebody gave accelerated to it. the vision. Yeah, it was like, so, all right, we, yeah. we better go. We yeah. set the vision and people set the pace yeah. of the vision. And the, the thing that sets legacy apart, I think, from other types of giving to other nonprofits, and we partner with a lot of them, um, so I'm not a, exclusively saying this, but... When you give to legacy and legacy projects, you're giving to things that are going to have a kingdom impact. And kingdom, we talk about return on investment with investments all the time. Um, this has a, a K-R-O-I, a kingdom return on investment. So the things we invest in, we know that we're going to see them again in our lifetime, but in the next lifetime yeah. in heaven. It's people who feel like they have the gift of giving beyond the tithes and offering. And so that may be $5 more. You're on the legacy team. That's awesome. It mm-hmm. could be some people give million-dollar gifts. It's like, man, they're on the legacy team. It's not like a elite group of the biggest givers of Seacoast. It's people who that's feel right. like they have the gift of giving and want to be generous. And oftentimes that's cultivated in a high school student. They may be given a few dollars, but down the road, they may be somebody who's you know philanthropic and giving and making a difference all over the world. Yeah. Off the top of y'all's heads, can y'all think of a big financial mistake Seacoast has made in its history? Like, is there one that you're just like, man... I don't know about mistakes, but we experimented with some things, even campuses that didn't work out. Yeah. Um, what about some of the biggest, oh my gosh, I can't believe this happened, like well, an opportunity? Well, I would say in both of those categories, mistake that turned into an opportunity, we bought, you know, when we had our first building, um, our one version of the first building, and we were trying to expand into the building that we're in right now in Mount Pleasant, we bought 48 acres on um, Long Point Road, right off of 526. They named that road Seacoast Parkway. It's still named Seacoast Parkway to this day. And we were going to build a big building on that site that we were going to move over there. And so we purchased the building and then fast forward a few months and we realized that the egress and the, like we thought that the town was going to be willing to let us put a on-ramp to 526 and they weren't. And so now all of a sudden we realize like we've raised money for this. We've cast vision for this. We've shown pictures of this. We can't build over there anymore. And I I wasn't leading the church at the time, but I can imagine that dad saw that in the moment as a major mistake. Like, I can't believe we've done this. How do I go back to the church and tell them like, we can't move over there. So we now have bought this land. We can't move over there. Well, fast forward, I don't know how many years, 10 years or so, we sell that land that we bought for $1 million, sell it for $4 million. And so it's like, man, that's a mistake that God actually in hindsight with with full picture, no, it wasn't a mistake. It was a a good investment. We just didn't know it at the time. And so same thing has happened in North Mount Pleasant. We bought land thinking that we would do a North Mount Pleasant campus and we're going to sell that land towards the end of next year. Uh, for about three and a half million dollars, we paid one million for it, nice. and that's going to help us build the Johns Island campus. Yeah. And so, 
you know, like it's funny. I think it's it's illustrative of how our life works is that, man, there are a lot of mistakes and you keep on moving. And sometimes hindsight will show you that the value of that mistake was lesson learned. Um, do it differently next time. Sometimes, oh, wow, maybe that wasn't as bad as I thought it was. Maybe, you know, God turned that mistake into something that has, has become something good. We've had over 17,000 people, students go to camp. Uh, our kids go to um, Kids Camp VBS over the years and just some fun stuff to think about. Like it's usually when we talk about like legacy and impact, we talk about it from the standpoint of like this past year, this is what happened. And that's fun. But 35 year birthday, I don't know how you were, Joey, but like when you hit the big ones, 35, 40, you kind of look back and kind of look at what is the culmination of my life? impact and am i happy with that am i not happy with that what do i want to do moving forward and so we've done a little bit of that i mean 1500 men and women at the retreat at church creek mostly pastors uh, but business leaders too the impact i mean almost every state in the country has attended uh the retreat at at church creek including several countries uh arc dad had the vision to to start arc over 20 years ago 1097 churches have been planted now and the impact that that has you you can hardly measure just in day one attendance over two hundred and fifty thousand people attended and in day one salvations over ten thousand salvations. So just uh being here for the long haul, it's just awesome yeah. to see and to think about the impact. Any legacy stuff overseas in other countries and Yep. Yeah. So uh we've given over twenty million dollars. Uh, to global missions uh, over the years. Uh, We've had 544 trips and 8,000, almost 10,000 trip participants. So huge impact. Is there a general spread on medical construction, evangelism? Do we take more medical trips than anything else? We take more medical trips because we're in a medical community. You know, we're surrounded by MUSC and Roper Hospital and a lot of other ones. And so uh, I guess just years ago, we looked around and said, God, what have you put in our hands? And was there ever an orphanage in a legacy lane or? It was kind of before legacy, but yeah, yeah, Christ's Gift Academy in Kenya. We had one in Romania too. Uh, I can't remember what that one was called, but uh, my sister Jessica actually went over and spent several months serving an orphanage in, in Romania over the years. And so we do, yeah, we've done child sponsorship programs over the years. And um, now we're more apt to to partner with organizations that do that really, really well. Like we've done it on a smaller scale, but they do it on a, a much bigger scale. Yeah. Water wells, we've done, I don't know how many water projects, yep. if we have that number. Um, but We've done 27 wells in Togo. And so Jeez. I know years ago, we figured out how many people were being uh, impacted. And, and every day, there's like 100,000 people that have yeah. access to clean drinking water. And so we plant churches, not just in the United States, but through our partners in Togo, we've planted 14 churches, Sri Lanka, 43 churches in Pakistan, which is, you know, super close to the gospel. We have 2000 leaders and 600 churches impacted through ARC Pakistan and the cross connecting network. And so huge impact. Can people go online and actually see the past stuff also, or is it right now just a presentation of what's going on currently? Right now it's a presentation. Yeah. Of That's actually current. a great idea. I just, yeah. gave, I just gave yeah. you all an idea. Yeah. 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 Well, and the series that we're doing around this, that, that, you know, whether that's past, present, based on when this episode airs, it's called Moments Beyond Number. <laughs> because even Jason's listing out these numbers, and I have a tendency to start a zone out uh, yeah. because it's like, man, 
it doesn't motivate me. I love it's exciting, but then when you drill back down to the fact that sitting at this table right now are two kids who were a part of a church in fourth and fifth grade who uh, have seen this church carry our family through loss and trial and tra- you know I'm thinking about Jessica's jet ski accident and like really I think people talk about how how relevant the church is and how you know accessible and humble the leaders are I think we learned in that season that we didn't need to be heroes my dad needed to let the church actually love him and care for him and care for his family through it and um but we've gotten baptized in this church uh, we've now had opportunities to lead in this church and use our gifts in this church. And now our kids have been baptized in this church. So when you drill it down to the individual, it's like, man, that that's what excites me is seeing the number of lives that have been changed or the, the lives that have been changed. And then just knowing that because of God's grace and mercy and people's generosity and thankfully up to this point, uh, wise leadership and humble leadership, those stories have been happening over and over and over again. And Charleston and other areas in South Carolina and around the world. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this mini-series, the various conversations and the various voices that were represented. We really love our church family and have a lot of fun together, if you couldn't tell that already. Next week, as always, a brand new episode is dropping on Monday. People need to pray more. If you enjoy these episodes, we'd love for you to leave us a rating and maybe even a comment. We've loved the comments that have come in so far. There's also a link in the show notes to our podcast Facebook group where we talk about these episodes and we share some behind-the-scenes information, including guests that we're booking. And don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening. The series... And don't forget to subscribe. <laughs> There's also a link in the show notes to our pace to our pace book. <laughs> Are you gonna use these? If you enjoy these episodes, we'd love for you to leave us a rating and maybe I can't I can't do it. I think the problem is I'm usually just in here by myself when I'm recording. Who's y'all's favorite kid that married into the family besides your wives? (laughs) (laughs) I bet you it would be easier to say who's your least favorite. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Ben (laughs) and Josh are on one of those two lists. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, did you just say you like Ben and Josh more than Jenna? No, I thought our wives were collectively counted. Oh, no, 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 no. Jenna's in the mix for you. Well, if Jenna's in the mix, then... She's your favorite. She's my favorite. Jenna's everyone's favorite. Ben and Josh are somewhere behind that. Do you like Lisa better than Ben and Josh? (laughs) (laughs) Ben does brew better beer than any of the rest of us. (laughs) Out of all of those people that I just rattled off, who do y'all know the best? I would say to me, Alex Copeland. He's my direct report and boss. So I spent the most time with him. Yeah, mine is Jenny Mayer because she's my roommate. I'm assuming former roommate because she now lives with her husband and you live with your husband, right? Oh. Um, we actually all live together. <laughs> We're she like so communal living at its best. Are you being serious? I'm being serious. There's I did eight not of know us. That. Eight of us under one roof. That is awesome. I'd Soon have no to be idea. nine. 
Yeah. I have no idea. That's yeah. Pretty, yeah. Yeah. I yeah, would say you know her the best. Besties. Absolutely know her the best. That's <laughs> hilarious. All right. Who do you almost not know at all out of all those people? Is there anybody that you don't Luke. know? Luke. I mean, I, I don't even know how to pronounce Luke. his name. I know. Luke G. I know him. He's awesome. He, but he's I don't helped me with a lot of things. <laughs> he's I know. helped you a lot. <laughs> yeah. Luke's the man. Well, he is a very swell guy. I'm going to go out on a limb and say the smartest tech guy. At Seacoast. Oh, I'd believe that. But he didn't accept that label. So <laughs> who would y'all want to be president? And I'll tell you mine, Jack the Lesser, because yeah. his dad would actually be the one running things. And who would not <laughs> vote for funny. Jack the Greater? There's no way Jack the Lesser becomes president and his dad doesn't run the country. That's true. Because mm-hmm. they would both I be like, well, what's the wisest thing that. right now? Yeah, 100%. Outside of this podcast, I have thought about this question and a staff member to go with it. And my answer, even... Before this, and it's was one of these people, Lynn Stroy. I feel like she's an excellent communicator. She gets stuff done. She has vision. Does an amazing job at public speaking. I just feel like the country would love her. Oh yeah, Lynn so Stroy for president. The easiest answer. Uh, I, I would vote for Lynn. Yeah, I, I asked Kiara when we walked in. I was like, oh my gosh, these questions are so funny. I was like, and we both said Lynn Stroy. She just gets stuff done. Oh, yeah. yeah. Even just in current life, like I would follow her anywhere. And she loves really well. So I'm like, for someone to be leading the country and like, she loves the people around her really well. Yeah. Lynn Story for president. Hey, I'm in. 2024.